about history from a whole new context. Welcome to Podtextualizing the Past. Hi, I'm Sue Stanfield with the History Department at the University of Texas at El Paso. And today we're going to discuss the Pueblo Revolt of 1680 that took place in what is now known as New Mexico. I'm fortunate to be able to interview Jose Miguel Chavez Leva, a PhD candidate at the University of Texas at El Paso. Jose studies environmental history and native groups in the Southwest borderlands from the pre-Columbian era to the Spanish colonial era up to the modern era. So welcome. I'm excited to, to talk to you today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I guess we should um, begin, if you could tell us a little bit about the Pueblo peoples, like where they settled, how um, how far did their communities extend, um, you know, how many individuals lived in this area in that early time period. So around the time of Spanish contact, the Pueblos had settled throughout most of northern New Mexico and parts of southern New Mexico into eastern Arizona, where the Hopi are today. Some of the communities numbered in the hundreds, while others like Jemez and Thaos Pueblo had populations in the tens of thousands. And they shared agricultural, material, and religious customs. They grew the same kinds of crops, corn and beans and squash. And they had the kachinas that they worshipped. And they had very similar governmental systems that were set up that were very complex and related with uh, the Apachean groups that they had trade with and, and intermarriage with that surrounded them. And the Apachean groups showed up around the 1400s. So they were pretty, um, if not allies, comfortable with one another. There wasn't a lot of hostility between the Pueblo or the Apaches or what? There was a lot of hostility between oh. the Pueblo and the Apaches, actually. And so they had a very complex relationship when the Apache groups could not trade for something or when they were suffering from drought and they did not have enough game to hunt. Sometimes they would raid the Pueblo villages and the Pueblos, in turn, would give out gifts and things to try to prevent the raiding from happening. And they would turn to their familial kinship ties by exchanging wives and making sure that they had uh, family ties to fall back on okay. instead of their raiding practices. Okay. So um, what was the early relationship with the Spanish like between the Pueblo and, and the Spanish colonizers? So when the Spanish first arrived in 1540, uh, led by Francisco Vasquez de Coronado, uh, they were mostly looking for gold. And they, they had heard all these rumors that there were these cities of gold out in the southwest. And there, those rumors, of course, were false. There were no great cities of gold out there. But they had heard all these rumors, and they had set out in search of vast wealth. And so they showed up kind of demanding gold and other riches and resources. And they immediately fell into large conflicts with the pueblos who were there. So did they eventually, since they're just really interested in, in gold, were they trying to take the lands as well? Or when did, when did that location become contested? So 
the first attempt to colonize only lasted a couple of years, and then they then they backed out of New Mexico, and they didn't actually return for another fifty years. But they had left this lasting impression of violence. So when they returned fifty years later, that was that was the idea that that the pueblo had of them was that they were a violent group who were going to try to take things by force. So the Pueblo were immediately resistant when the Spanish returned in the 1590s. So who is Juan de Onate? Um, what role does he play in this relationship between the Spanish and the Pueblo? So Onate was a Spanish conquistador who traveled to New Mexico in 1598 with a group of about six or 700 people. They actually traveled through here, through the El Paso Juarez region, and they were responsible for naming it El Paso del Norte. Oh. So now this, the big monument at the El Paso airport, is that, that's who it's based on? Yes, the monument is based on Oñate. So why would they choose to, to memorialize him, do you think? Because this is so, a fairly recent monument, isn't it? It's from 2006, I believe. Okay. Um, the he, the Onyate statue was part of the 12 Travelers exhibit, which was supposed to be 12 travelers who came through the region and had left their mark on it. And Onyate was a very controversial figure for them to build a statue of, and there were protests throughout the entire construction of the statue and at the dedication of the statue, and there were attempts to get the city to give up the statue entirely and stop it. But the statue was largely funded by the wealthy people of El Paso who wanted to see something grandiose. And, and because at the time it was the largest equestrian statue in the world, and that's what they were aiming for, and they were selling... They were selling small models of it for, like, thousands of dollars. Mm. So he is a, a troublesome figure. What, mm-hmm. what were some of the atrocities or what, you know, that he brought to the, to the region? So in 1599, he massacred 1,000 people at Acoma Pueblo. And this was in response to them killing about a dozen or so Spaniards, including his nephew, who had gone to Acoma Pueblo and demanded all this food and supplies that they needed to survive the winter. And so they needed, Acoma Pueblo needed these things to survive the winter, and the Spaniards were demanding to take these things with them, and the Acoma refused, and and violence broke out, and the Spaniards were killed. And then in response, he massacred the entire Pueblo and enslaved all the women and children and the men who survived who were over the age of 25 were sentenced to have the right foot cut off so that they could no longer have mobility and rebel. So how long did this, um, I'm not sure, uh, conquest, uh, occupation, uh, how long did it last under under him? Or did he leave after he... So he was governor of New Mexico for several years, and then he continued to have travels throughout the region and 
eventually was recalled to Mexico City for uh, to answer for his crimes. Hmm. And he was charged with uh, cruelty to both the colonists and to the indigenous pueblos. And he was found guilty and he was he was exiled from Mexico City and banished from New Mexico forever. Oh, wow. Which makes the monument even more surprising. Yeah, he's he's more or less a war criminal who they've built this monument to. And so it's it's a very strange thing to have him celebrated, but he still is celebrated in parts of New Mexico. Uh, you know, there's the the high school named after him uh, in Las Cruces, I believe, and people still see him as a figure that they have pride in because he brought the Spanish culture to the Southwest. So was there a period of peace, um, maybe even reconciliation after he's declared a war criminal between the sort of end of his presence there and before the Pueblo revolt begins? Well, things were certainly a lot calmer after he was no longer the governor. Uh, The major thing that happened was that the Catholic missionaries came in after he, sometime after he was gone and started to require a lot of the pueblos on top of what was already required of them by the, by the Spaniards. The Catholic missionaries also required their labor and required their time in the churches and required them to repent and would whip them if they were bad or didn't do what they were told. And so for a long period, the pueblos were really abused by these by these two systems, by the Spanish colonial system and by the Catholic mission system. But whenever there were outbreaks of violence, whenever the pueblos did revolt against them, they would blame each other. These two systems would blame each other mm. for the pueblos revolting. Okay. So as we as we get to 1680, um, what are there specific things that led to the revolt? So one of the main things that led to the revolt was actually in the mid 1600s. The missionaries cracked down on the practice of the pueblos' native religion with the kachinas, and they they burned all the kachina dolls and banished the religion, and before this, they had been pretty tolerant. Like, as long as they attended churches and as long as they came to Mass and did what the priest said, they were tolerant of them practicing their religion on their own time. But now they really cracked down on this and decided that no longer would they allow them to practice their native religion, and that was kind of like the thing that finally broke. The tipping point. Yeah. Okay. So um, how, was, how did the revolt carry out? I mean, what, how does it, um, were they, um, did they attack like local missions or was it Spaniards that were in the area? How does it all kind of play out as a, as a revolt? Well, I should say that the revolt was actually years in the planning. One uh, one Pueblo who uh, Pueblo native who 
participated in the revolt and later was interrogated by the Spanish, said that it had been in planning since the time that he was a child. And so in the 1670s, there was a large drought that hit. And because of this, they decided they were no longer going to be tolerant of anything that the Pueblos did. And they rounded up about 47 holy men that belonged to the Pueblos. And they sentenced four to execution. And they had the others publicly whipped and imprisoned. Mm. And at the time, most of the soldiers were out fighting the Apache. And so the Pueblos got together and surrounded Santa Fe and demanded that they release the holy men who had survived. And they did. And the holy men were all released, including Pope or Pope, uh, depending on how you pronounce his name. Um, and he spent the next five years preparing for the revolt, trying to get... Uh, support from all the various Pueblos. So it was initially successful for the Pueblos. It was initially successful. They burned down the churches. They killed the priests. They chased the Spanish out. I think something like half of the missionaries in New Mexico were killed. And about 400 Spanish altogether were killed in New Mexico. And the survivors fled to Isleta or to Santa Fe. Uh, Isleta was one of the pueblos that had not participated in the revolt. And so, so the survivors at Santa Fe were surrounded and they cut, the pueblos cut off their access to water. And they had them there for about a week before the Spaniards finally gave up and attempted to flee. And the Pueblos let them flee, but followed them all the way out of New Mexico into back to the El Paso region. Oh. So did they stay in the El Paso region for a while, the Spanish? So the following year, they tried to go back into New Mexico, and they were quickly chased out again. But when they were chased out, they actually brought with them all of the Pueblos who had not rebelled against them or large numbers of the Pueblos who had not rebelled against them. And it was not like they said, come on, you're our friends. You, you get to come with us. They said, you didn't rebel against us. So as a reward, you know, a quote unquote reward, you get to come be our servants now yeah. in the El Paso region. And so they actually, that actually resulted in the founding of several, uh, Communities here in the El Paso region, Isleta, Senuku, Socorro, and San Lorenzo, which is the mission trail, mm -hmm. along with San Elisario, which was actually a fort that was built later in the 1700s. That's the mission trail here in El Paso. And they were all south of the river initially, but the river changed course. Mm -hmm. And so, so the two, um, Isleta and Socorro, are both north of the river now. Okay. All right. Um, so basically, how long were the Pueblo able to hold, like, Santa Fe? They were able to hold New Mexico for about 12 years. Pope okay. uh, was not super successful as a leader following the revolt. 
he unfortunately was deposed a short time after he had tried to unite the pueblos under his leadership and they did they didn't want to do that they wanted to return to their traditional communities which meant that they had their own systems of government and their own kinship ties and they did not see each other as like a pan pueblo people that would be stay that would stay unified and that's part of the reason why the spanish were able to return 12 years later is because the pueblos had not kept that unity throughout over a decade so when we think about um us history or the history of north america can you put this into some sort of context for us on the significant you know it's not something that's mentioned usually more than in passing especially as more history happens um so why is it so in- so significant and why should we know more about it so a lot of this is still really significant today because as you as you said before the statue was built here in El Paso of Oñate and that history can get lost in the shuffle and we don't know about the struggles that the pueblo people went under and additionally the city of Santa Fe for over 100 years celebrated the entrada every year which was the return of the spanish into new mexico for the reconquest or the reconquista and they celebrated that until 2018 when they finally realized that <laughs> it was not it was not a really good thing to be celebrating considering all of the indigenous peoples there had pro- been protesting it for a number of years and they were celebrating basically this this mass genocide of pueblo peoples so one of the things i always ask all of our guests is to kind of help us contextualize the past with modern ideas or modern themes. And so I always kind of ask if social media had existed, imagine that in 1680, um and and these individuals that were involved in the revolt um or or beforehand um had Instagram accounts. Like what kind of hashtags might they use to describe the the revolt or themselves and then you know if they all had their iPhones on what kind of images might they have taken pictures of and want to post well they definitely would have had hashtags like colonizers go home because that was their goal was to chase out the spanish colonizers and the images they would have had would have been like toppling crosses and burning churches and it wouldn't be so dissimilar to the images we have now of confederate statues coming down you know it's it's the destruction of peop of monuments to people who had oppressed them and this is just happening at the time at the time of their oppression as opposed to now where we're seeing history kind of have that same movement towards toppling these monuments too. Yeah, and it's not like uh, I know there's a lot of controversy somehow toppling a monument destroys history mm-hmm. even though it's been created often hundreds of years later. You know, but it's not just a 
attack on the the Confederates. It's there are all sorts of monuments to things that we shouldn't celebrate, mm-hmm. both in the U.S. and and throughout the world. So it's it's always interesting to see how this plays out in a variety of ways. Um, is there anything else that you think we should know or you want to share? I would think that the important thing to remember is that the Pueblo people survived and a lot of people act like the Pueblo existed and then kind of faded out with the arrival of the Americans. But the Pueblo people still survive today and still maintain their indigenous identities and their communities and they're still very proud and still practice kind of a syncretic religion between their indigenous faith and Catholicism. Uh, And historians, even recent historians, have treated them like they vanished and they're all gone, but they're still there. The Pueblos are still there. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I I learned a lot, and I know this is you know, we tend to, and I'm guilty of this, think of U.S. history as all being on the East Coast, but recognizing, you know, there was a history before the British show up. There's mm-hmm. so much going on. So thank you for talking to us today. Thank you. Podtextualizing the Past was created by Susan Stanfield assistant professor of history at the University of Texas at El Paso and is produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios.